three days after Brexit became a reality. And some of us this morning are probably feeling an inner sense of elation. Some of us may be feeling an inner sense of despair. Now, I'm not going to make political commentary this morning, so you don't need to get twitchy. I think that I'm going to sort of nail my colours to the mass politically. That is not my intention at all. But my intention this morning is to open the Word of God and see how we need to be rooted in Scripture. Because we serve a different king, don't we? We serve a king with a different manifesto to anything that the earth offers. We serve a different kingdom. And Jesus, no matter what has happened this week, what happens in the years ahead is still King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So let's open our Bibles. We're in John. Now when I picked this passage way back in December, I had no idea what this Sunday would bring. But as you will see, God's timing is good. Well, it's probably not good for me because I've got to try and unpack this this morning. But you'll see what I mean as we read it. John chapter 6, starting at verse 60 and reading through to the end of the chapter. It's on page 1011 if you've got a church Bible in front of you. So this comes after the long discourse about um, following the feeding of the 5,000 where Jesus has talked about being the bread of life. So that's the context and here we go. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Then Jesus replied, I have not chosen you, the twelve, yet one of you is a devil. He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who, though one of the twelve, was later to betray him. Let's pray, shall we? Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word to us today. Thank you that you are reigning. Thank you that our trust in you can be complete. And I want to pray that as we unpack this passage, as we look at what it means to say yes to Jesus this morning, would you give us hearts and spirits and minds that are willing to hear from you? Holy Spirit, would you open ourselves to you? We ask that you would move amongst us this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in the start of these, these verses that we're reading together this morning, the people are starting to struggle. Jesus has just presented um, the deepest truths of the gospel. And the people round about are saying, well, this is hard. This is hard teaching. If you were here two weeks ago, we were looking at the feeding of the 5,000. And Jesus has just taught that he is the bread of life. If you look back in the passage, a bit further back from where we read, it says in verse 53, I tell you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Now we read that, post-cross, post-resurrection, 
knowing the symbolism of communion, and our, our thoughts are probably taken there. The crowd didn't know any of that. Their thoughts are probably taken to cannibalism and wondering what on earth is Jesus on about? Well, what is he on about? What is he talking about? What does this mean? Well, what Jesus says here can't really be understood until we get past the cross and the resurrection. And he's best understood by saying, whoever believes in Jesus will be raised. Whoever believes will have eternal life. You'll recognize this name if you were here a couple of weeks ago on a Sunday evening. Augustine of Hippo, you remember him? He says, whoever believes, eats. Whoever believes, eats. And it's out of this conversation, the difficulty of understanding this message, that the challenge starts to come to the people who are sat there. They're thinking, what on earth is Jesus on about? How do we react to this teaching? People start to get twitchy. People start to get nervous. Probably like people are very much in our country at the moment. That sense of unease. What is going to happen? What is Jesus on about? You know, we live in a world today, and I think I can say this without offering opinions, that is becoming less stable. Are we all agreed on that? A world where the certainties of the past few decades are crumbling. I read this um, in one of the newspapers on Friday, and one political commentator wrote this. I'll just read it out. They said, Brexit is not in isolation. There are far greater social forces at play. From Donald Trump to Bernie Sanders, from Syriza in Greece to Podemos in Spain, from the Austrian far right to the rise of the Scottish independence movement. This is an era of seething resentment against elites. Their frustration is spilling out in all kinds of directions. New left movements, civic nationalism, anti-immigrant populism. I don't know whether you agree with that. You can agree or disagree. That's just one of the kinds of things that the commentators have been saying. Our place, our world, our country is a place that is in turmoil. The, the things that have been secure are now being washed away. You know, I was born in 1975. That was the year, I think, that Britain joined the EC. I have lived my whole life through that period where that has been the backdrop. That is now not a certainty. That has now gone. That's not a political comment. That is just a fact. And it's into this world of changeability that actually the call to take the gospel, the call to take hope, needs to go stronger and stronger and stronger. To honor Jesus, to bring our worship, to bring the incredible news of the gospel. The gospel that has the power to transform, not according to human ideas, but according to God's agenda and God's purposes. I'm going to read some well-known verses from Luke 4. These are verses that Jesus spoke in the synagogue at the start of his ministry. He took the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And he said, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim deliverance to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, returned it to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began by saying, today, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. We're sent people. That was Jesus' manifesto. That's our manifesto. That is what Jesus has called us to do. We're called to go and make disciples of all nations, regardless of whatever human boundaries are in place at the time. And Jesus is calling us today, I believe, to rehear this, to relook at what it means to be a disciple. You know, today, if you're a Christian this morning, if you've committed yourself to following Jesus, 
there are basically two directions your discipleship can be going. It's either that you are orientating yourself more towards Jesus and your relationship is going deeper and deeper with him, or, well, actually, there are two alternatives. You can be sort of walking backwards like this, still sort of slightly focused on Jesus, but he's getting more distant. Or you can do the other. You can do an about turn and walk away. Verse 60, people are struggling to accept what Jesus teaches. They're struggling. What Jesus says is hard. It's totally life-changing. You know, we live in a, a society in this country where actually, for most people, they've got way past verse 60. We're actually way past verse 66, which is all about people turning their back on Jesus. I saw some totally alarming figures the other day that said, if the decline in Christianity in this country continues... By the year 2067, there won't be any Christians left. That is scary. That is the decline that we're seeing in people's following of Jesus. What is happening? What is happening in our own hearts? What is happening to our own discipleship? What are we doing about getting the good news of the gospel out there? We're called to be disciples. We're called to be on a journey. We're called to take the good news out into the world that we live. You know, as a church that believes in the Bible, as an evangelical church, we believe that the Bible is God's word. We believe that we are saved through faith by grace. And that alone. We're not saved through the stuff that we do. We're not saved through works. We're saved because Jesus died on the cross in our place and did it all for us. Took our sin, our shame, and rose again. It says in Ephesians 2, verse 8, For it is by grace that you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And yet, and yet, sometimes I wonder, do we want to try and quantify the quality of our walk with Jesus through human markers? Do you ever find yourself doing that? With human markers. We break discipleship down into a series of things. You say, like, well, if we have a quiet time every day, then we're doing well in our discipleship. If we go to a small group, we're doing well in our discipleship. If we read certain daily reading notes, we're doing well. If we're here at church, we're doing well. Now, all of these things are great. Don't hear me wrong this morning at all. All of those things train us and help us to grow. But they are not what Jesus is ultimately after. I think it was Jonathan Boyers was here last week, and he said, Jesus didn't call us to follow him to attend six meetings a week. That is not the purpose of the Great Commission. It's the training ground. It's the boiler room, if you like, but it's not the destination. The destination of the church is not to be inward-looking. I don't know if you've been excited by the football. Anybody? Getting there, getting there. Anybody watch um, Wales and Northern Ireland? Happy people, sad people? Some thumbs-ups, some people with either Welsh people or Welsh ancestry. Now, I don't know what you think about England so far. <laughs> They're still in it. We're still clinging in. We've got to play Iceland next. Not sure how that will go. But imagine the England football team. They're spending hours and hours training. They can even do penalties. They're so good at their training. <laughs> tell you, this is imagination that you need here. But everything is going brilliantly for them in training. You know, they think that they're fired up. They're ready to go. But then Iceland come out onto the pitch and they think, can't be bothered playing today. We'll just stay in the training room and keep training. We'll just hang around in here. We'll knock a few balls around. We'll, we'll, we'll try penalties again. But we're not going to bother to come out. 
We're not going to bother to play. We're not going to take on the opponent. We'll just keep training. Or supposing you're thinking of Wimbledon. Any Wimbledon fans here? Are you going to be glued to the telly with Wimbledon? Yeah? Yeah? Some of us will be glued to both. Um, imagine Andy Murray. You know, he's there training, and he's doing hours and hours practicing his serve, and his serve is so good that it's getting in there 100% of the time. Yet he never goes out to train and see if anybody can hit it back at him. He never gets out onto the pit. What is it? Course, isn't it, with tennis? Get the right word. <laughs> tennis pitch. Dear me. He never goes out to play a match to see if anyone can return his serve. You think, what a waste of time. What a total waste of time. You know, the seriousness of our commitment to Jesus, I don't think can be measured by how we train. It's not enough. It's not enough to just sit in training mode as a church. We have to be prepared to give our training legs. Whether we run the risk of actually saying, let's unleash the power of the gospel into our community. Let's unleash the power of a love that Jesus has given us, that he just wants us to display to our communities. The message of salvation, the message of the cross. Let's go where the Spirit leads us. You know, sometimes I think that we can turn discipleship into more of a self-help program. Let's become a little bit better. Let's become a little bit nicer. And let's talk to one another pleasantly. But actually, do we realize that we have the good news? We have the only message that will turn our world around. The only message. The political messages, they don't really matter. We have the message that matters. And this passage is all about people being totally convinced that what Jesus says is true. Totally convinced. Verse 67. Do you not want to leave too? Do you? Jesus' question. We've heard a lot about leaving this week, haven't we? Brexit, it's all about leaving. David Cameron has left office. The potential of Scotland leaving the UK. I don't know if Jeremy Corbyn's left yet. Anybody seen the news in the last half an hour? Two politicians left. Various people are leaving. So I want to ask you the dangerous question that Jesus asked of his disciples. Do you want to leave Jesus behind this morning? Now you're probably thinking, what a stupid question to ask. You should be asking it the other way around. Do you not want to be recommitted to Jesus and on fire for Jesus? Well, yeah, we'll come to that. But before you can answer that question, you have to be able to answer this one. And this is the question that Jesus asked Peter. Do you want to leave me behind? Is it too hard? Are you not convinced? Do you want to settle down into something other than Christian discipleship? You know, leaving is sometimes the best way of avoiding things, isn't it? We were at um, Peter and Catherine's wedding on Wednesday over in Dublin, and it was great. The service um, went off really well, and it was a lovely day. And we got to the evening, and um, there was a band playing. And so Claire was, was there dancing. Now, I'm like a dad at a disco. I don't have Dylan's um, abilities on the dance floor. And so I thought, well, the best thing to do is to get out and avoid the situation of humiliating myself. So I go outside and start kicking a football round with the boys. Problem was, the grass was wet. So for about the first 10 minutes or so, it was, it was fine. My footballing skills are slightly better than my dancing skills. But then I slipped on the grass, slipped onto the path, and went down smack on my hip. And I now have the most enormous bruise here and didn't sleep for two nights because every time I moved, it woke me up. So if I'm looking a bit jaded this morning, that is the reason why. I should have danced. I should have danced. That's the answer. I should have danced. The leaving created more problems than the staying. 
But I said a few minutes ago that actually in our discipleship with Jesus, we're either orientating ourselves towards him and going deeper, or we're going away. What does that mean? Well, let's look at what Peter says. Peter's answer to Jesus is beautiful. It's simple, but it's incredibly profound. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Jesus asks a cut and dry question to Peter, and Peter gives a totally cut and dry answer. It's you, or there's nothing. It's you, or there's nothing. You know, to be a disciple of Jesus is not something we can measure by attendance at meetings. It's not something we can measure by markers in the sand that we put out. But I think it's measured by this. Do we simply have the confidence in Jesus that Jesus calls for? Because if we do, that will change absolutely everything. If we're convinced that Jesus is who he says he is, then we will go with the gospel because we will want everybody else to hear it. If we're convinced that Jesus is who he says he is, we will get out into our community because we can't wait to share the good news with other people. Are you growing in faith and trust? Do you feel today that perhaps you're more trusting in Jesus, more confident in the gospel than you were a year ago? Or five years ago? Or if you've been a Christian for many years, 50 years ago? don't know how far I dare go back. 60, 70, however many years it is. For us today in an an uncertain world, there is no one else to go to. What struck me over the last few weeks was that from both sides of the debate, about Brexit. We saw spin. We saw half-truths. We saw things that couldn't really be quantified. But Peter doesn't answer with spin. He doesn't answer with half-truths. He answers a direct question with a direct answer. Jesus, it's you, or it's nothing. There are no other answers. Only you have the words of eternal life. I think the road today for us as followers of Jesus needs to be that kind of cut and dry. It's you or we're done for. It's Jesus or there is no hope. When asked a simple question, can we give that kind of simple answer this morning? I just want to ask you to think for a moment, why are you here today? If you call yourself a Christian, why do you call yourself a Christian? Is it habit? Is it upbringing? Is it just something that you quite like coming to church, so you come along every now and again? Or is it actually because you believe that the only hope for this world is Jesus? The only hope for people of having eternal life, the only hope of actually changing our society today is the message of the gospel. But it's very easy, isn't it, to fluff a verse 68 answer. It's very easy if Jesus were to stand in front of you and ask you that kind of direct question, to say, well, you know, sort of, yes, Jesus, but you know, I've got a few doubts and a few question marks here and there. Nigel Wright, he was here a few weeks ago. I don't know if you remember him, him coming to speak to us. He was speaking um, at an event down on the South Coast, I think on Saturday, and this got tweeted, and I thought this was brilliant. He said, a church that is not convinced can never be convincing. A church that is not convinced can never be convincing. If you are not convinced that Jesus is who he says he is, you will not convince anybody else that Jesus is who he says he is. Simple. You know, people who are not convinced 
do not make very good advocates. A few weeks ago at the last church meeting, we started to share where as a leadership we feel God is calling us to go. And it is about going with the gospel. It's about creating community both here and in the areas round about that serve to enable us to share Jesus with people. And we'll be unpacking that uh, more and more over the, the months and weeks that lie ahead. But that will mean nothing if we're not convinced. It will mean nothing if we're not prepared to say, Jesus, where else do we go? Only you have the words of eternal life. How can we tell if we're heading in that direction or actually if we're in reverse? Well, I don't want to put down too many markers. I'm not into putting markers down this morning. But there may be things that if you're heading backwards from Jesus in your discipleship, that you may start to recognize in your life and you may want to start to put right this morning. You may notice that actually your confidence in Christ is dropping off. You may notice that when there is something that you need to be praying about, you don't bother because you don't think God will do anything about it. You may realize that actually when you read the Bible, it's not resonating with you. If that's you this morning, can I encourage you to look at Jesus, to look at him, to hear what he says, and to start heading again in his direction? You know, our country is predominantly full of people who have either neither acknowledged Jesus, never heard of him, never been told the good news, or have at some point turned their backs on the gospel. You know, we've been there before as a nation. In fact, we've been in far worse places than we are today before. I'm just going to read this about England at the turn of the 18th century. Um, This was written by a man who went round visiting, first of all, churches in London, and then went round seeing what the capital was like and what other parts of the country were like. I'm just going to read this, because this is really quite telling. Sir William Blackstone visited every church in London. In most sermons he heard, it would have been impossible to tell just from listening whether the preacher was a follower of Confucius, Muhammad, or Christ. Morally, the country was becoming increasingly decadent. Drunkenness was rampant, gambling was so extensive that one historian described England as one vast casino. Newborns were exposed in the streets. 97% of the infant poor were dying in workhouses. 97%. Bear baiting and cockfighting were accepted as sports, and tickets were sold to public executions as to the theatre. The slave trade brought material gain to many while further degrading their souls. Bishop Barclay wrote that the morality and religion in Britain had collapsed to a degree that was never known in any Christian country. That was the early years of the 18th century. But within a few years, George Whitfield, John Wesley, Charles Wesley, had all undergone massively dramatic conversion experiences. They had become convinced that Jesus was who he said he was. They had become, verse 68, disciples. And John Wesley traveled 250,000 miles on the back of a horse. I don't know how on earth you do that. Preaching thousands of sermons until his 89th birthday. So if you're under the age of 89, or even if you're over the age of 89, don't think preaching is something you shouldn't ever think about. Tens of thousands of people were saved. The Luke Manifesto of Jesus found legs, hospitals, abolition of slavery, workers' rights, the list goes on. And things started to change. But it wasn't Wesley who did it. It wasn't Whitfield who did it. It was Jesus who did it. It was the power of the gospel when people took it seriously and said, actually, this is the hope for our nation. It's not in the king, it's not in the politicians. It's in the gospel. It's in Jesus Christ. And it made a massive difference. You know, I look at our uncertain world today. Our politicians do not have any answers for it. They have questions. They have things that they think may do this, that, or the other. But there are no answers. The gospel has the answer. 
know, the question for us today is, are we for Jesus? Are we for him? Do we give a verse 68 answer? Or are we still fluffing it? Is it Jesus or we're done? Verse 69, Peter had gone on to say, we believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. You know, what certainty there? It's one thing saying I believe something. It's another thing to say, I know it. I know that this is true. There is no other way. There are no other options. There is no other plan for the world. Psalm 86, the psalmist writes, All the nations you have made will come and worship before you, Lord. They will bring glory to your name. For you are great and do marvelous deeds. For you alone are God. Teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. Shall that be our prayer this morning? Give me an undivided heart. A heart that says yes to Jesus. A heart that says yes to the kind of discipleship that means we don't stay in training, but we get out there with the good news. So on a day that, I don't know about you, but I feel that the next few years are going to be quite different than anything we've experienced. Different. Don't know what it'll be, but it will be different. Can I make an appeal to us as a church family to once again unite around Jesus, to be prepared to turn outwards, to seek the Lord, and to share the most amazing news that this world will ever hear? Because that's where hope is. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you that you bring hope to our world. You said, I am the light of the world. Lord, I want to pray for us here today that you will help us to shine brightly for you. Give us the courage to to give our discipleship legs and to share the gospel with our towns and our villages around here. And Lord, I want to pray for us as individuals today in this building. There may be some of you here today who actually what you need to do this morning is get on your knees before the Lord and recommit yourself to him. There may be some of us today who are actually in a place where our training is great, but actually it's not going beyond there, and we're we're still stuck in the training ground, and we've not actually got on to going and sharing the good news in a meaningful way. If that's you this morning, can I encourage you to, to think about what that next step would be? to think about how you can get stuck in to implementing the Jesus Manifesto. Lord, we acknowledge this morning that actually it's not by might or by power, but it's by your Spirit, says the Lord. It's not us who does this, it's you who does it. So Holy Spirit, would you do a fresh work amongst us? Would you do something in our day and in our time that we have yet to see? Lord, we long to see more and more people find their hope and their salvation in you, Jesus. We long to see our nation turned around with you at the center. 